0: Hi, I'm Lisa Mirabile, and I'm here with Robert Strickoff, Chief Development Officer of EAC Network, for our More To Do podcast. Good afternoon, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Robert?
1: I am so wonderful, especially since we have a special guest with us uh, today. Who do uh, we have? <laughs> well, we have all of our bosses here, Nilo Merkaji Lakhl, she is our president and CEO of the EAC Network, and she's here joining us uh, to talk about a very, very important topic. Nila, thank you for joining us.
2: Super happy to be here. This is uh, some of the work that we do that I am really excited about talking about because there's so much momentum. Um, And so I'm super happy that we have Dr. Fernandez here with us today to really be our resident expert, if you will, um, in this area, on this topic, and specifically around the work that EAC Network is doing in the space of criminal justice, behavioral health, alternatives to incarceration, um, and really helping our communities to be safer.
0: That's right. We have the clinical director for the Queens at uh... Tesk with us today, right? And we address him as Dr. Fernandez. Is that
1: correct? He, he earned it. He's Dr. Fernandez.
0: I like calling
2: him Dr. Fernandez.
3: <laughs> I, I like hearing it, so that's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you worked hard and you've earned it. So welcome, Dr. Fernandez, to the More To Thank Do you. podcast.
3: Thank you very much uh, for having me on, and I'm really glad to be sharing this space with everyone. In particular, Neela, because we have been talking and she has been meeting with the borough programs to really... Lend support and more direction for our ATI criminal justice work, um, which is which is a breath of fresh air. It's not like it hasn't happened, but it's it's great momentum for the staff uh, to see that. Um, so I, I uh, let's see. You want to know about my passion? How I got here? I'll give you a synopsis. Um, I am the uh, son of two immigrant. Um, uh, people that came to the United States with limited educational backgrounds. Um, when I got here, when when I uh, was raised here, by my mom, by my family, there was really no direction in terms of education or pursuit. Really, it was just get to work um, and uh, and find a job. So uh, I ended up. Uh, following that path, but there were a lot of bumps along the way. When I say bumps, I mean, um, you know, now looking back in clinical terms, you can say uh, that I've suffered from depression or a trauma or, uh, or things going on. But at the time, I was just living my life um, and I didn't really know what was happening. Um, we fast forward and I find psychology uh, when I was in college. And when I find psychology and the study of psychology and really wanting to uh, dedicate my life to that, that's where it all took off, Uh, being able to identify with a purpose and keep going forward uh, with the educational pursuits. I've done my training on inpatient uh, psychiatric units, North Central Bronx Hospital, um, and I worked at Lincoln Hospital. Uh, These are city city hospitals uh, that serve underserved communities. Really what I've refined my purpose to do was to provide services to those that otherwise would not have access to those services. So that can apply to many different areas. That's why I stayed in the outpatient in the Bronx. Uh, when I had the opportunity to become the clinical director in Queens, I had forensic experience, um, but it wasn't my life's work. Uh, EAC helped me develop this into my life's work where now it's uh, I'm the clinical director of the Queens uh, task and CRAN program. I also have a private practice working on federal cases, but again, this is all kind of in the same space, being able to provide these types of psychological services that otherwise would not be accessible to the populations that we're offering them to.
1: Yeah. So Lisa and I have done um, five or six of these podcasts and every um, uh, dedicated talented staff member that we talk to uh, tells us about uh, acronyms, right? Yes. This acronym, that acronym, EAC. We're full of acronyms. So you mentioned a few. If you could talk a little bit about what is Queen's Task and what is Queen's uh, CRAN, if you can talk a little bit about that, right?
3: Ta- you know, the Task Program is the one I'm most involved with heavily. Um, and Task is was uh, started, I believe in the late '80s, and it stands for Treatment Alternatives for Safer Communities, or something in that ballpark. Things change. Right. Uh, similar to EAC, things change. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and the idea was that the jails in the, uh, New York City were becoming overflowed with the people that uh, were abusing substance, so it was a revolving door, right? So our jails in the eighties and nineties due to the crack epidemic were overflowing. Um, so someone had the, um, you know, put the pieces together and started to say, why don't we offer a treatment as an alternative to, um, Uh, incarceration. For back then? For back then, it was either providing them with substance use treatment, such as monitoring urine toxicology, supportive services, um, all of that back then, instead of placing them back incarcerate, because it was just a big revolving door. And of course, lo and behold, what you saw is that when people were being offered treatment, um, their recidivism lowered. Um, And so that was assisting the 2000s, I think it was 2011-ish, EAC, uh, under the leadership with Dr. Rodder, Merrill Rodder, who's our medical director, started the uh, first mental health court in the Bronx and started to develop that. And essentially with TASC, it was focused predominantly first with with, uh, substance use. Now we opened it up with mental health. And so essentially in each of the boroughs, we do have a clinical director who's a psych- licensed psychologist that provides um, psychological, forensic psychological evaluations that do a couple of things. But the main thing is to provide a clinical opinion about what might be uh, helpful for a client to lower their risk for recidivism. Um, And we present this plan to all parties, the defense, the DA, the judge. It is a legal determination whether they actually agree to go along with it, but at least they're getting that piece that might be missing from the client's um, treatment planning or understanding the client as a human.
2: I think that we are talking about people's humanity, and that's what we're focused on, right? Like when we're talking about alternatives to incarceration, alternatives to incarceration came from... Like, it, it was birthed from this idea that low-level offenders or people who have other needs that could address their criminal behavior were not being addressed. Ooh, and so we were sending people to jail for too long and without any kinds of real, like, meaningful rehabilitative support and efforts. And so that's, so here's, we are, we are, at our heart, a social service organization. Absolutely. Right? And yep. so we are focused on people's individuality and their humanity and their dignity and preserving that.
3: Right.
2: In doing that, it just so happens that we are having a very positive effect on public safety because we are getting people the help that they need. We're getting people substance abuse treatment, we're getting them mental health services. We are either helping them to find their way back to work or to find the resources that they need so that they can survive without engaging in criminal activity. Yeah, That's that's what we do as an agency, whether we're doing it in ATI, whether we're doing it with seniors, whether we're doing it with children, like that's what we're doing. We look at individuals and what do they need? And so I do love that John always calls us a safety net because we are, we are a safety net in the work that we do, but also in our openness to create new programs to respond to emerging needs. Because that's sort of how we've grown to 114 programs. 100, 114,
0: yeah. I yeah, say 104, yeah. it's 114 programs. That's amazing. And I think you, you bring up and hit the nail really on the head right. when you're talking about all the wonderful things that EAC does, especially within this uh, one arena. And, and,
1: and Dr. Fernandez, can I'm can, sure can, can tell us and illustrate some of the impacts that we see from these programs, right, Dr. Fernandez?
3: You know, we get to two extremes. I'll give you an example of two extremes. We have the extreme of someone that is a um, minority young mother uh, that has had her children taken away because of substance use. Um, with a rap sheet. And I don't know if you know what a rap sheet is, but New York State rap sheet is, it's a documentation of all the times you've been arrested in New York State. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes if you go to court, people will have a rap sheet that's fake, right? So they'll plop it down Mm -hmm. and it'll be like, well, that person is their rap sheet. I guess they're a hardened criminal or something. They don't care about it because they've been arrested so many times. Um, So there's that kind of extreme where you have that kind of a person And we'll get a referral like that. And when we have the opportunity to really get to the root of the problem, have treat the person um, with respect and dignity and empower them to have a voice in their treatment planning and meet their needs while also providing clinical interpretation for the courts and for all parties involved uh, because that's something that's part of our role. You know, to see a success story like that is something is just beautiful. Um, you know, And when I'm talking about this real case, this person had a rap sheet and uh, that was very big, constant substance use and had been placed in substance use treatment. But That's just part of the picture, right? Because if she's being um, arrested for substance use types of offenses, someone might say, oh, look at this. You know, this is part of the system, substance use, send it to program without really taking the opportunity to say, well, have we treated her trauma? Have we treated uh, her mental health? Have we given the opportunity for medication? Does she have housing? Does she have the opportunity for supportive services for being a young mother? So all of these things we were able to present to the court and they're given the opportunity. And that's a success story for someone living in a residential uh, treatment program, being able to have that opportunity. And she completed successfully. So to think of that one client, right, that has a long rap sheet, think about the amount of times she's been to an emergency room and how much that does for the system and how that can drain the system. Think about how many times um, she's been hospitalized or been arrested and incarcerated, um, been sent for trials. And here we have one time with us where we're able to really look and break down the, the factors that are associated with recidivism and provide an adequate treatment plan and provide the opportunity. And that client is doing well well after our, our intervention. So that's kind of what one of the extremes that we have with, with client stories.
1: That's amazing. Um, and I know uh, in Queens last year, price were 1,000, I think the number is 1,000 uh, uh, clients. And citywide, I think the number is close to 12,000. So you have one story and I'm sure you have- So many more. 12,000 more. So I really, that's really a wonderful story.
0: I think that often people don't understand that even though you've been in the system more than once, or you are a repeat offender, that there is rehabilitation and there's also a positive economic impact to our taxpayers yeah. when this does happen. Uh, someone who goes to jail costs the taxpayer, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands right. of dollars, right? right. Our tax right. dollars goes towards uh, the criminal justice system and, and, Tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. When we rehab even just one person, we make a positive economic impact on um, on our community and on 100%. the community uh, that they live in.
1: One hundred percent. I almost think you want to call it smarter alternatives to incarceration, right? I mean, that's what you're that's what you're talking about, right? It's a smarter, better way to deal with people who have issues, and we just can't throw them into jail, right? You just can't throw them into Mass incarceration. So- I know
0: Neela feels passionately about uh, ATI, and this has always been um, one of her focuses about how we build better communities through ATI. So, Neela, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your feeling about uh, the community impact when someone uh, is not incarcerated?
2: You know, I think when we are doing our ATI work, when we're working with people who are involved in the system and really creating a tailored plan for them that includes whether it's treatment for something, whether it's family support, whether it's vocational support, um, any any of the critical factors that we are able to provide those supports and helps a person figure out how to survive, how to cope, how to live, right? And and now they've got this infusion of new supports, and I think you know one of the things that I think about is success looks different for everybody. Not everybody's definition of success is going to be, I got back to work, I got my family back, and I got, it may not be that. For some people, success is, I am feeling mentally supported, I'm feeling, I'm feeling better, or I'm, I'm on a path towards doing better, and I am staying out of the criminal justice system, right? I am, I'm, I'm living my life in a better way. I'm coping better. I'm engaging differently with my community, my family, my partners, my friends. Um, And I think that it's important to remember that the goal is to help people do better. That's right. Right. And as people are doing better, as people are feeling some sense of hopefully, we hope, a sense of fulfillment, in the choices that they're making through the supports that they've received, that by by having that, by doing that, they are going to be less engaged in the activities that are disruptive to our society. They're gonna be less likely to have to be uh, stealing. They're gonna be less likely to have to be, hopefully, using substances and being unable to manage their use and engaging in activities publicly or in a way that is affecting other people, right? Um, And that they are hopefully making better choices to live healthier, better lives, right? So from a community standpoint, again, I think when we're talking about how we empower people and how we're helping people to have a sense of their own accountability, that that is helping our communities, in addition to getting people the treatment that they need and the mental health support services that they need and advocating for what our communities are lacking that could help our community members. In addition to that, we're giving people a sense of purpose, we hope, That's our goal. We're giving them something to strive for. And when you have something to do, when you have something to strive for, it keeps you on a path. Then you're looking for like-minded people. You're looking for opportunities that are gonna support that. And then you're taking people who have substance abuse and mental health issues, getting them the help that they need and taking them out of the mix of the public safety concerns that we otherwise have, right? Yes. I think that what we're doing is giving people alternatives, not just to incarceration, but we're giving them alternatives for their lives. We're giving them choices. We're empowering them. We're asking them to be accountable for their uh, actions and behaviors by showing them the impact of their actions, right? Like Dr. Fernandez and, and from the clinical side and the, the counseling work that's happening, um, I know that some of that is really around helping people see what the impact of their actions has been, not just on themselves, but on their community.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that this is so important.
0: I'm sorry I jumped in there, but I think that you hit a couple of things, right? You're giving them hope. So they see that there are other ways to live. There are other um, options for them out there. And that builds a success a successful person, and it builds a successful community yeah. as a result of that. Then I would just
2: interject and say that ATI also keeps people from just, when people have mental health and substance abuse issues, right? Dr. As you were talking about that rap sheet that the woman that you were working with had, right? Those are probably all the same offenses. Yeah. It's a lot of the same offenses, right? It's the same thing. It's just a routine. It's rote. It's their coping mechanism. It's how they have learned to survive for better or for worse, right? It's how they've learned. And what we're doing is giving them other ways. We're teaching them other things. We're showing them what is possible. Or that you're capable. People like to say, oh, well, I did this and you should be able to do that because I did it. And that's not true. Right, right. That's people right. are going to do what they're able to do, but they have no idea what's even possible until they see it. And I think that our, our ATI teams, our reentry folks, all the people who are working in this criminal justice space, are educating our clients on what is possible and what it. They, they handhold them so that they can see what it would look like for them. It doesn't have to be oh, Lisa, you did that, or Dr. Fernandez, you did that, I should be able to do that. No, we're helping you see what it would look like for you to live like this.
1: There's another title to this uh, podcast, you know, Choices in Life. I mean, you're talking about choices, you're talking about smarter choices, you're talking about alternative incarceration. You're really hitting the nail on the head. Um, You know, Dr. Fernandez, one of the questions that that we all probably have in our minds is, who are your partners? Um, Whether it's, um, you know, in the court system, uh, in the private sector, in the private sector or in the governmental uh, section, who who are your partners? who Who are you guys working with that help make this a successful program and are helping people every day?
3: Absolutely. This program would not work uh, without the partnerships with the district attorney's office with the individual judges. So we do have specific mental health courts in the misdemeanor and in the mental uh, in the felony uh, court parts. Uh, but we have relationships with all the judges in all court parts, and that from our, our work, and I can speak about Queens, but I also know that that's how it is in all boroughs. It's the district attorney's office know who we are and the work that we provide. The defense bar knows the work that we do, and they partner with us and referring clients over for our evaluations and recommendations. Um, so these are the different entities. Um, that are required. There, we wouldn't be able to exist without the, those partnerships or the trust that's established with them for the work that we're doing.
0: If you could wish one thing, one more thing that you could uh, hope for within the EAC program, what would it be to make this a success?
3: It, it's, a, it's a loaded question because there's so many areas that this is inherently a needy population. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean that as a blame. I mean that as there's a lot of resources that these clients are lacking. If EAC had a magic wand, we'd be providing outpatient treatment, housing, we'd be providing support in the community, maybe through um, uh, monitoring directly through ACT team services, things like this. But the thing is, Though acting, by the way, is a sort of community treatment. I don't mean to throw anybody.
1: (laughs) Another acronym. That's
3: a certain service that's that's provided um, for people with mental health and substance use directly. The treatment goes to them. Um, But my point is that, like, you know, with a magic wand, the thing is, I think, for if there is one wish, is that we continue to build partnerships with the resources that are already there. And that's, I think, the part that becomes different language. Um, A lot of the time, organizations are um, putting their names in the hat for same pots, of different types of grants and things. And it really puts us in a way, in a space that's kind of like, uh, well, I can't work with you or I can't work. And when you meet the administrators and you speak to them, nobody actually feels it. We all want to work together um, uh, to, to provide these services. If you break down all of the players in the in the criminal justice ATI world, everybody has the same um, inherent motivation to provide services to the justice-involved population. So continuing to really solidify those uh, relationships while giving ourselves to, to be the experts in one in an area, but solidifying what we can offer to other programs, I think is something I think we can continue to
1: do. Dr. Fernandez, you talked about uh, the individual impact, right? You talked about this woman and her, her large wrap sheet. What are the 30,000 foot, what is the the big picture impact that you see from this work?
3: Wow. The big picture impact that I see is, so there's, there's, there's a couple there's for the individuals that we've service um, is the empowerment and, Hopefully, a different experience of being involved in the criminal justice system. Um, you know, we work with underserved communities, predominantly minorities that are brought into the courts that can't afford their legal defense. So they have public defenders, can't afford the treatment in the community, don't even know where to get the treatment in the community. So um, when we have these individuals, I would say that one global impact that happens is they have the opportunity to engage in a different way the justice system. The way we would hope or believe the justice system should work, which is rehabilitative. So that they're not out and putting themselves at risk to be involved in it again. Um, from, the, from the criminal justice perspective, the actual court's perspective, the bigger picture is providing a contextual understanding of how uh, these different risk factors that lead to recidivism can um can benefit from intervention
1: listen it sounds like obviously equity and fairness is a a big issue a big impact of this right a big uh, positive impact of this but also you talked about uh, obviously public safety but monetary right fiscally budgetary issues are important here um our city new york city our counties nassau suffolk rockland counties are spending money on incarcerating people when maybe they shouldn't right and if we can be working with these individuals and get them out of these You know, mass incarceration. These municipalities are going to save money. That's an important issue uh, as well, and I think that's a big impact.
3: The underlying drive for the DA's office, district attorney's office, is public safety. The underlying drive for a defense attorney is to get a best deal for the best interest of their client. All of us are working around the same thing: the best interest of the client, just in different ways. Um, So, and I think you're right. It's absolutely providing. An alternative that's fiscally responsible for the population.
2: Dr. Fernandez, can you talk a little bit about, or just, I mean, we know that, I feel like here we know what ATI does and all the different things that it touches, right? Yeah. What, if you had to talk about all the issues that ATI touches, what would you? what would you say? Like this work I know touches substance abuse, touches mental health, touches families, touches public safety. Um, Because I think what I think is so important, let me rephrase it. What I think is so important is that people understand that ATI is not, um, it is not about letting people off the hook and it's not about letting people go it is about getting people the resources they need so they make better choices. But also, it is public safety, right? Like, it is the impact on the community is so big and it touches so many aspects, right? That ATI isn't far removed from any of us. It just isn't, right? If we have, if we know somebody with substance abuse, we know somebody with mental health issues, we know that anything is possible. And if anything is possible, we know that. Anybody we know could be dealing with the criminal justice system as a result of any of the issues that they're dealing with. And so when we think about what alternatives to incarceration can mean for us, both like as individuals, as community members, as community leaders, as boroughs, counties, what is it? Like why, why, why does paying attention to this work matter to all all of us, you know, so many times it,
0: there's a misconception in this in this work, right? And it gets lumped into a political view or a, a side, you know, and yeah. and it's not. It's absolutely not. And I think that that's where the misconception comes from. And right. it's a dialogue that has been, you know, put out there by just a, a, a few. Right. But it's it's so un intelligent (laughs) right it's so unintelligent and for lack of a better term it's not a left or a right it's not it's not about that at all
1: no way it's
0: about the person and it's about education and it's about lifting uh, up our community and making it safer in a fiscally responsible way yeah right yeah and and the dialogue is just so off and that makes me so sad Right. It just it's just so sad because it we could be all doing just so much more. Sure. Right. Within this, if we understood it better and and it's not just, you know, one person yeah. we're talking about, like you said, Neela, I know personally two or three people that have some kind of mental illness. Right. Whether it be anxiety, depression, depression. Um, experience some kind of trauma in their life. I mean,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know who hasn't, right? Yeah. And and the thought that good bad things happen to good people. Yeah. Right? All the time. And then it goes deeper, like you said, um, just repeat offenders because they don't know another way. Um, this this is an emotional you know, uh, yeah, plea <laughs> for, for sure. You know, uh, to educate people about about the resources
2: that are out there. You know, we, you were just saying like, you know, bad things happen to good people. Like, our orientation, I think, from ETI is that people are people. Whether good or bad is not the is not the thing, right? It's people have made choices and have gotten themselves to a certain way. And I mean, I'm a social worker by trade, right? And so by trade, I have to have hope right? The moment I lose hope that somebody can't do any better, I'm done. I'm done doing any any of this kind of work. Hope is what drives me. I believe people can do better. People can have better. People can live better. And I think that ATI can't be something that's somebody else's problem, right? This is a solution, A, one of many solutions to problems that all of us are facing. And it's important for all of us to pay attention to this as a tool, as a resource, as a valuable, um, proven approach to addressing people's personal issues. But then, you know, the ripple effects of that when you talk about community safety, public safety—like this is this is huge. This is going directly to the people who are engaging in activities and trying to get them giving them the resources, providing them the support that they need. And quite frankly, I mean, Dr. Fernandez, I mean, when I think about like success in a very broad sense, right, I think about the relationships that you have with the clients that you're working with, right? And so if we talked about that as a measurement of success, like the relationships that you have with the clients and the way that you're able to influence them.
3: Yeah. You know that actually, just to, just to talk to that point, um, a lot of the time, with some one of the responses I'll get from after people having interactions, clients having interactions with our staff, is that it's their first time that someone asks them about something. So whether it's their history, whether it's their trauma, whether it's their possibility of mental health, what is that? What is uh, symptoms of mania? What is uh, psychosis? It's, it's the first time that somebody's asked them. Um, and I think that that just goes a long way. And even if they don't successfully complete a program by the parameters, the fact that they were seen, even if it's for, you know, uh, 10 minutes gives them the opportunity to be seen. And again, not just as a, uh, as a charge or as a label.
1: I'll tell you, that puts uh, the care into care. Within our name, right? Empower right. Assist Care. Uh, that is uh, the, the pure definition of care. You know, Lisa talked about this. There's, uh, there's a lot here. It's, uh, there's a lot of issues, a lot of things to deal with. If you are listening to this podcast, I would suggest that you listen to it twice because um, I don't want you to miss anything. Uh, for more information on EAC and this work, please go to eac-network.org. Um, there's all kinds of information about not only this program, but the other 113 programs that we have. We, uh, we, we also encourage you uh, to make a large impact with a very small donation. We're asking you to donate $20.22. $20. Uh, join the EAC network uh, by texing, texting EAC2022 to 53555 and make a donation of $20.22, $20. a small donation for a large impact.
0: That's right. Well, I learned so much today. Thank you for educating me. Because I had no idea. I really didn't. And this is a tremendous program that you run. So thank you, Neela. And thank you, Dr. Fernandez, for all that you do every day. And as we always say, Neela, there is always,
2: there's more, to always more to do. <laughs> that
0: is right. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank Have you. a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.